Test, 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 test.
Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you all here this morning. Um, man, it is a, it's been a wild weekend, um, and uh, I believe we're going to have a strong ending to our revival today, and we're just we're really glad you're here. Um, as I say every week, you know, we just we want you to worship freely. Um, feel free to sit, stand, uh, raise a hand, whatever is comfortable to you. Um, I just invite you in this time just, just to pray with me. Father God, we just thank you for all that you do and all that you are, Lord. God, it is truly a privilege just to be in your presence this morning. And we just pray that you would meet us here in a very special way, God. We want to encounter you like never before. God, I pray that truly revival may take place this morning. That there would be no shadow of a doubt that when we leave here this morning, we have encountered Christ today. God, we long for you. We want to be near you. Be with us now, and in your name we pray. Amen. Yeah. 
the evidence is all around the spirit of the Lord is
And uh, we've got another song we're going to sing here in just a minute. Uh, you've got to understand this is the third service that I've decided that I haven't preached. The preacher's got to preach, okay? And Jacob's preaching next week, so you, you, I need you to give me a few minutes this morning. I went to bed last night thinking about Pastor Jim's message. If you were here last night, he preached a great message from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. 14 is a verse that many of us know. It says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then would I hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. I, I can't think how many times I've read that, quoted it, prayed it, preached it, listened to it preached. But there was something that Jim put on one of his slides last night. It, it was right from the scripture. It just the way he presented it on the slide kind of caught me off guard last night. And this is what I went to bed thinking about. If God's people turn from their wicked ways, church, there's still wickedness that we're dealing with. I, I just, I really, you know, we, we get so, we like to get on the prayer part. We like to, if, if God's people humble themselves, but I, the way that he put God's people in wicked ways in the same side, I'm just going, God, I, I don't like that. I don't like the idea that we're still dealing with wickedness inside of the body. Now, let me tell you real quick, that doesn't mean you, I know what you're talking about. That guy sitting next to me, he's still wicked. See what I did there, wives? I didn't say the lady sitting next to you. I said the, I said the guy sitting next to you. I know what we're doing. And uh, I said, God, how do, how do we get away from wicked ways? How do we get away from wicked ways? We have a chalkboard in our house. And over the years, many things have been written on it. Maybe, maybe things like happy birthday, have a good day at work. Uh, maybe happy Thanksgiving, something like that. Um, back when Allison and I didn't have three kids and we thought we were tough guys, it might have said something like, nobody cares, work harder. Inspirational stuff to get us through. But right now, Psalm 119, 133 is on that board. And it says, order my steps. See, the chapter, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses, 22 sections of eight verses. And if you didn't know this, they actually wrote it in a way to where it would be one of the easiest things that the people who couldn't read could memorize. It was written in such a way that people could remember. And the reason it was important that it was or that it was memorable was because Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. It talks about meditating on the Word of God. It talks about memorizing the Word of God. It starts out, and in the Hebrew, it says that perfect or happy are those who are perfect in these things. But as I kind of tried to merge what Jim was saying last night with Psalm 119, 133, where it says, order my steps, I can just imagine the writer of this psalm, having have, after having written 132 verses, fighting with God, struggling with God, saying, order my steps in your word, Lord. And it says, so that I won't be overcome by sin. Because sin is trying to overcome us, people. Do you understand that this morning? If you've given your life to Jesus, sin's task is to overcome you and to pull you down. Church, we need some people this morning. We're going to open the altars for prayer. You can come. We'll have our pastors here. And you can come and, and, and seek prayer if you, if you need to be prayed for. But also, I think it would be a great time for the church just to come and kneel and pray and say, God, I, I don't want to fall into sin. I don't want to be tripped up by wickedness. Would you order my steps. What that means practically this morning, Jonathan, what's that mean for me? It means that when I go to make decisions, when I need to go, need to know whether to go left or right, and I'm not sure where to go, when we request that, God will be right there. 
But get this, order my steps according to your word. You've got to be in his word so that you can receive those steps. So wherever you are today, maybe you say, yeah, I heard Jim's message last night. I should have came to the altar. There's some wickedness that needs to be dealt with. You might be holding revival up. Is that okay? Ooh, I don't know if I like that. Jim challenged us last night, if nobody else will, I will. Will you be the one that starts something? Will you be the one that causes contagious prayer revival to break out? You need to ask God to order your steps. You need to ask him to increase your appetite for the word so that when he tries to do that, you'll know which way to go. I'm going to ask if... (laughs) Colton does a great job. Colton, do a great job. Yeah, that's this guy. I wasn't gonna make. I, I wasn't gonna make you clap. I won't make. Clap. That's my sister. She'll be okay if you don't clap for her. But now I, hey, how about Audrin? This is a new face up here. Let's really give it up for Audrin today. So thankful for her today. They're gonna sing another song right now, and you know it. And and it, and if you will stand, you know, uh, what I was gonna say is, Colton, you do a great job. But this morning, when he said, and it's true, if you're new here, we want you to feel right at home. But I'd like some Christians to get a little uncomfortable this morning. Would that be all right? Maybe if you feel a little uncomfortable raising your hands, you give that a try. Maybe if you feel a little uncomfortable coming to the altar, you give that a try. I think that God moves when his people become uncomfortable in worship a little bit. So why don't you stand with me in this song we're going to sing, you know, great great are you, Lord. It starts out, you give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. When we ask him to order our steps, that's what we're asking for, the light of God's word to illuminate the dark spots so that we don't go there. That's not where I'm supposed to step, Lord. Help me to move and live and be where you're ordering my steps. Father, we pray this morning that as you've prepared our hearts over the last couple nights, God, as you would prepare our hearts for the message that Dr. Deborah Charles has for us this morning, that maybe all across this place we would understand that if your people would pray, God, if we would get over the what we're hearing from the enemy right now, well, you don't need to pray. You don't need to turn. You don't need to seek my face. God, we know we all need to. So, Lord, all throughout this place, I pray that your spirit would break forth. Lord, that your spirit would overcome us in a way that we would understand that we're never going to be at fault when we're humbling ourselves and seeking you in prayer. Bless those who are obedient in this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.
just sing one more time. And it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only, it's your Sometimes, when you're just in this kind of a setting, you just want to stay out of the way. God is here, and God is moving. It is my joy and privilege to introduce to you a dear, wonderful colleague and friend, Dr. Deborah Charles. And I have served with uh, Dr. Charles on the general board for uh, several years. We have known her. She is from our Brooklyn area. And let me just read about this wonderful, wonderful friend, colleague, sister, and woman of God. Dr. Deborah Charles was born on the island of Trinidad where she became part of the Christian Union Church of the West Indies from the age of 12. She received specialized training at the Open Bible Institute in Trinidad, West Indies, where she graduated with a diploma in pastoral ministries. She was ordained in October of 2001, and she later became a nurse and obtained a doctor degree in theology and has been active in ministry for the past 25 years and currently serves as a senior pastor of the Greater Grace Anointed Ministries in Brooklyn, New York. She established the ministry Women Wearing Red Shoes. That's interesting. Dr. Deborah, I won't do it now, but I'm going to have to tell you one of my stories about we had women with red hats at Brookside. It's a forgettable thing for me, and uh, we'll leave it there. I'm glad yours were shoes. And uh, stepping out of your comfort zone, she is a certified community service chaplain, teacher, mentor, life coach. She is um, certified marriage counselor, and the biggest of all, she is a mother to one son. Let's just put 
And they say in Pakistan, when I, uh, when I teach to them, instead of saying, let's give her a big hand, they say, give her applause with your big hands. And so that's what they say in Pakistan. So give her applause with your big hands. Dr. Deborah, come and God bless you. Praise. Thank you, Jesus. Bless the Lord. Glory be to God. God is good. And all the time. It's my privilege to be here this morning to share the word of God. I don't ever take invitations lightly. So I thank um, Pastor Jonathan Barker for the invitation. And I greet you and your beautiful wife in the name of Jesus. Also the executive pastor. And all the leadership in this great house. I have cried two times and I've only visited the church twice. Hey, I don't know if I'm, <clears throat> anyhow. God is good and I love him with all my heart. Amen? Amen? This morning I just want to speak on the topic God is. My text will be coming from Exodus sorry, 33 verse 13. And it reads, now therefore I pray thee. If I have found grace in thy sight, show me your way that I may know you. That I might find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is your people. Moses was asking God to show him his way. To show me a visible manifestation of your attributes a full expression of your nature. Show me, God, who you really are. They were having a conversation in this chapter and previous one. And Moses was, God told Moses, I know your name. So God was telling Moses, I know you. So Moses turned around and said, God, if you know me, Show me a little more about you. I just don't want a mere friendship. I want intimacy with you. We long to see the glory of God and we long for the intimacy of God. But do we want to do what it takes to get up close and personal with our Savior? Moses expresses an overwhelming desire in our text this morning that I may know you. You have heard my biography this morning of some things that I have accomplished, some things that I have done. But it's not enough to form a lasting opinion of who I am. It is enough to make a decision, yes, I, I want to, to know more about Dr. Charles. But here we see Moses asking God for more. I want a closer relationship with you. And God responded, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Allow me to use the verse read this morning as my, 
sorry, foundation to speak on this subject, God is. Three points I'll be touching on this morning. God is wise, God is holy, and God is faithful. As I break down some of his attributes that are really close to our hearts, we must know the wisdom of God. We must know that God is holy, and we must know that God is faithful. Psalm 104 verse 24 says, What a wildly wonderful world, God. You made it with wisdom at your side. Made earth overflow with your wonderful creations. God's work of creation is not only witness to his handiwork, but it also represents some of the characteristics of his divine nature. The earth is full of the works of God, and in his wisdom, he created them all. By wisdom, he founded the earth. The world is balanced by God's skill and wisdom. Mark the world and you will learn of him. Look at his handiworks. There you will see the proof of his wisdom. How do we define wisdom? A.W. Tozer states, wisdom is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. It means the end from the beginning so there can be no need to guess. Wisdom, we know, is not knowledge. It's the, the wise use of knowledge. And God's wisdom is a combination of his knowledge and his power. He has power to apply his knowledge in the best possible way. The wisdom of God tells us that God will bring about the best possible results by the best possible means for the most possible people for the longest possible time. God cannot miss anything. He is always on track to accomplish his plan. An infinitely wise God must work in a manner to be improved by finite creatures. Romans 11 verse 33 to 36 states, have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God? This deep, deep wisdom, it's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone who has done him such a huge favor that God has to ask his advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always glory and always praise. Jeremiah 32, 19 says, Determined is purpose in purpose and relentless in follow through. You see everything that men and women do and respond appropriately to the way they live, to the things they do. God cannot increase in wisdom. No upgrades are needed. God constantly weighs the facts, implications, costs, 
consequences and how it fits into his purpose with flawless skill so that what he does or wills is always the best possible move he can make. God does this all the time. He never misses a beat. He is that wise. He knows what has to be done, when it has to be done, and how it has to be done. If there was a better option, a kinder way, a more effective solution, then God would have used it. So whatever happens or is happening in your life right now is God's wisest move for all of us. God always does the right thing in the right way and at the right time. This wise God has our highest good in mind. He is committed to providing his children the best. But the best may not always coincide with his best. Sorry, may not always coincide with our best. But know that it's working out for our good. Whatever our life is right now, God is wisely and sovereignly ordering our circumstances to do something in us, through us, and for us. To do something in our marriages, in our families, on our jobs, in our ministry, in our community, in our church that could not be accomplished any other way. If there was a better, faster, more expedient way, then we would be experiencing those circumstances right now. So the circumstances that you are in right now, the circumstances that I am facing right now are exactly what we need for this period in our lives. We serve a wise God. We need to take him at his word. God knows what he is doing. We don't need to give God any advice at all. Amen. This may be a hard pill to swallow because it takes time and, and repeated lessons in humility to bring us to the place where we can rest in his wisdom and trust his plan. But I'm asking us this morning to put down our habits, to put down our ego, and let God complete his work in us. He is wise enough, and he knows what we need. God is not only wise, but God is holy. Mm. Mm-hmm. And we really don't like to hear this one, but it's revival, I can speak on it. He said, be holy as I am holy. It what God's holiness means his absolute moral purity. He can neither sin nor tolerate sin. You see, when we speak about God's attributes, what should happen to us is a fear of God should come over us because we are now learning about who this great God is. It's all fine and dandy for us to sing really good songs, the tears to roll down our cheeks, but that's not all, saints. We need to take what is taught to us and apply it to our lives, that it will bring about transformation. God's holiness 
holiness means, sorry, the root meaning of holy is separated. God is separated from man in nature and character. He is perfect. We are not. He is divine. We are human. He is morally perfect. We are sinful. The Bible states, be holy as I am holy. Be set apart as I am set apart. Be separated from the things that I hate just as I am separated from the things that I hate. The word holy, when applied to human persons, expresses a relationship to God. Us being set apart for his service. Having been set apart, we must now be clean, sanctified, consecrated to live according to the law of holiness. Holiness or sanctification includes separation from sin and dedication to God. Those who are declared to be sanctified are exhorted to follow holiness, strive for peace with everyone, and for holiness without no one will see God. That's in 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Those who have been cleansed are exhorted to cleanse themselves. And so were we some time ago. But... We have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness into completion by the fear of God. How comfortable are we to add God to our lives with little or no change in our hearts? But that's not the true message of the gospel or the teachings of the scriptures. There must be transformation and there must be change. Paul said in Romans chapter 6 verse 6, knowing this, that all man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. God calls us to change. Not only our thinking, but also our actions. God calls us to be holy as he is holy. Dr. J.G. Morrison states, when holiness has come, then love becomes perfect. With hatred gone and envy no more. And jealousy driven away and pride cast out and anger transformed, and malice removed, and unholy ambition sanctified, and self-seeking banished, and extreme greed for wealth or material gain is nailed to the cross, and covetousness clean, gone forever. The heart now released from its bondage of moral corruption swells with ecstasy of perfect love to God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 said, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of your conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. If our conversation isn't holy, if we are not walking in holiness, we cannot say that we are holy. God hates Sin, let me say that again. God hates sin. He cannot 
tolerate sin. So he sent Jesus to die and shed his blood, hallelujah, that we might be reconciled to a holy God. God is holy and he wants us to be holy. Holiness is a joint venture between God and us. We cannot do what God must do, and God will not do what we should do. To be holy is to be morally blameless. To live a holy life, we must live a life that is in conformity to the moral precepts of the Bible and in contrast to the sinful ways of the world. We must put off the old self and put on the new man. We must consider the holiness of God. We must see his absolute purity and hatred of sin. Holiness is an essential part of the nature of God. The absolute holiness of God should be of great comfort and assurance to us. We must not run away from God because he is holy. If God is perfectly holy, then we can be confident that his actions towards us are always perfect and just. We often complain that God is unfair in his treatment to us, but it's impossible in the very nature of God that he should ever be unfair. Because his, he is holy, his actions are holy. If we put God first, if we understand that God is a holy God and understand that he hates sin, we will serve better. No man can attain any degree of holiness without God working in our lives. No one will attain it without effort on our, our own part. God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness. A holy God embodied in the crucified and resurrected Jesus made a way that his holy people may live holy lives. God is holy and he wants us to be holy. God is faithful and I thank God for his faithfulness. Numbers 23, verse 19 said, God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. But he speak, does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Exodus 34, verse 6 says, And the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Faithfulness by definition is a moral attribute of God, an inherent characteristic which is revealed in scripture and displayed by God's activity in history. God's faithfulness means that we can trust him implicitly. In any situation, we can fully rely and lean on him. It's his steadfastness, his firmness, and his fidelity. We know and may or may not agree that this is true in theory, but the reality of God's faithfulness is not something we know how to live by in the chaos of our daily lives. We always think it's for the other person, not for me. 
Instead, as imperfect human beings, we look at ourselves and become discouraged and wrongly conclude that this attribute of God is not for us. Mark eleven twenty two states, as they passed the withered fig tree, our Lord gave his disciples a crash course on faith, beginning with these words, have faith in God. However, this command is really best understood not as a call for us to develop the personal quality of faith, but rather to hold on to God's faithfulness. If you put it in that way, have faith in God, the emphasis seems to be on, on our faith, but it is just not that. It's the faithfulness of God that matters. The fact that we can trust God implicitly. When you have faith in yourself, hold on. When you don't have faith, sorry, in yourself, hold on to the faithfulness of God. Because God is immutable. God is faithful. He will never change. Whatever may be happening to you at this moment, wherever you are at this moment, hold on to the faithfulness of God. In a way, God's faithfulness is included in his attributes of righteousness. That is, his holiness manifested in right dealing with his people. In his justice, that is, he is fair to all and in his immutability, he is unchanging in his character. It makes sense that these characteristics of God are interwoven with each other as he displays each in its fullness. They all mean that God is unchanging and constant and God is faithful. We learn through scripture that God has never failed in the past. He never changes. He can never lie. He is always true to his word. God will never cease acting like God. He will not never stop being God. He will never stop being sovereign. He will never stop being holy, being good, being just, or being wise, or being faithful. And he will always make everything work together for our good. That's the God that we serve. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, never faints nor is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and to those who are, are, have no might, he increases strength. God is faithful. In the novel, A Pilgrim's Progress, the incident is related of how Christian decides to leave the main highway and follow another path which seems easier, just like us. But this path leads him into the territory of giant despair who owns Doubting Castle. Christian is captured by despair and kept in a dungeon in the castle. He's advised to kill himself. He is told by despair, there's no use to keep on with this journey. For a minute, it seemed as if despair had really conquered Christian. But hope, Christian's companion, reminded him of previous victories. At midnight, Christian and hope began to pray, and they prayed until morning. After they were finished praying, Christian said to hope, what a fool I've been to lie in this dungeon when I may as well be at liberty. 
side note, Christian realized that he, we hold, if we hold on to pain longer than we need to, we don't really have to. And some of us hold on to painful situations longer than we need to. Our faithful God says to us this morning, cast all your cares upon me. Well, not me, him. <laughs> I can't carry all of them because he cares for us. And if we know that and we really believe that, and also believe that God is faithful. Some of us will drop some of these cares quicker than we, we do. To cast means to throw vigorously or pelt. It's not to hold on or to lay down. He's telling us to cast them. So if we throw them away, we, when we're sometimes angry, and we throw things in the house. Don't, um, no, mm -mm, if you laugh, you will be, don't, don't laugh. Then we'll say, it's you. Do those things at home. Don't laugh. When we throw these things away, like we throw in pots and spoons and, mm -hmm, and children's toys, mm -hmm, we don't pick them up. We tell somebody else to pick them up, right? So God is telling us this morning, wherever you are, whatever you are going through, cast your cares upon him. He cares for you and you and you. We have heard about God's promises. We have read them a million times. We have studied them. We have repeated them. We have declared them in our homes. But my question this morning is, do you really act on God's promises? God cannot change. He's faithful. And he loves us with an everlasting love. These promises can unlock any door, can change situations, can change history, can change lives. We need to tap into the promises of God. Please allow me to share a few of these promises of God with you this morning. He will keep us in perfect peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, you will, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. He will lift us up. Isaiah 41.10, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He will never leave us. Deuteronomy 31, 8 says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. He will teach us. Psalms 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. And lastly, he says, he will strengthen us. And in these days, we need all the strength that we can muster or get. 2 Corinthians 12 verses 9 and 10, but he said to me, 
my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weaknesses, so that the Christ's power may rest on you. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, I delight in weaknesses, I delight in insults, I delight in hardships, I delight in persecutions, I delight in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. We can depend on God's faithfulness in every situation, every circumstance, whether our backs are up against the wall or we are riding on our last ounce of gas in the car, we can depend on God's faithfulness to bring us home. I had a great experience and I saw God's faithfulness over this entire weekend. When that rental car wanted to come up against me, I spoke to it and said, in the name of Jesus, you better work. And God's faithfulness came true. He sent me some angels late at night. He sent me some angels who took a long way to get to me. But I still saw God's faithfulness. Because I am supposed to delight in persecutions and, and disappointments and difficulties. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivers them out of them all. If I did not go through what I went through Thursday and Friday, I would not be able to stand here and tell you about the faithfulness of God that I have experienced. We go through certain situations so we can live the word of God, live it out, know that it is true. And when we have come through on the other side, we can then stand and say, God is a good God and he remains faithful. So don't despise. Don't despise when they don't like you. Don't despise when you're going through stress. We, I, I think in, in Chris, Christendom, we will, I don't know, somebody told us a lie somewhere that Christianity is easy. But I've come to tell you the truth. We will go through some stuff because God is making us into who he wants us to be. And some of those pressures help to get us to that place quickly. God will never back down on a promise like some of, of our friends do. So we can trust in him. We can trust in God. God comes through for us all the time. I just want to share this one last <coughs> excuse me, illustration from Numbers chapter 13, Joshua and Caleb. And God had made a declaration to the children of Israel, go possess the land. And the Israelites chose to send in 12 spies to survey the land. The spies came back with a majority-minority report. And all admitted that the land was flowing with milk and honey. All admitted that the land was good. But 10 said it would be impossible. 10 said the people 
are of the land are strong and the cities are fortified. But thank God for Joshua and Caleb. Caleb stated, we can do this. Let's go up at once and possess it for we are well able. They knew of a faithful God because God had been with them before brought them through some situations so they said with confidence let's go up at once and possess it for we were, we are well able this was met with resistance from most of the group and so we see this awesome pair Joshua one of Israel's military generals and Caleb described as a man of a different spirit they trusted their faithful God. They saw the giants, but they knew that their God was faithful enough to bring them through. They knew it would be a fight, but they were prepared to fight. Ten responsible men, heads of the children of Israel, declared that it is beyond the strength of Israel to succeed. But Joshua and Caleb remembered how God had taken them across the sea how he had fed and protected them while in the wilderness, defeated their enemies. Joshua and Caleb took their eyes off of their present circumstance and saw that God would bring them through and do good by them. If God said it, we can trust him. We can trust God this morning in every situation. The Bible closes with the truth that God is faithful. In Revelation 19, 11, John sees a white horse carrying Jesus in judgment to the earth. And his first title in the vivid description is faithful and true. Christ is and will be seen to be the tangible proof of God that God is faithful. The whole of scripture is given to us to show that God is faithful in creation, in the promises, in his words and actions unveiled when Christ walked this earth to the cross to the time of final judgment. Joshua 21 from verse 43 to 45, the New International Version says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. And they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. We can trust our heavenly father. To do always what is right. We can trust our Heavenly Father to bring us out of every situation. We can trust our Heavenly Father to never leave us alone wherever we are. We may walk away from Him, but God is faithful that He will never leave us. That's the God that we serve, a God that is holy who wants us to be holy. He, we serve a God that is wise, who knows our uprisings and our down sittings and every situation that we go through. And we serve a God who is faithful, who will never leave us alone. This is 
three attributes of our God that we serve. I really don't know where you are this morning. But we serve a God who does not want us to stay where we are. If we are saved for 10 years, he still wants us to move from glory to glory. If you have not yet given your heart to Jesus, this is a good time, a good morning. In these revival services as they come to an end, don't let this morning or this moment pass you by without crying out to your wise, holy, faithful God. God is good. And all of those attributes are bound in his goodness. He did not want us to remain in sin. So he sent his son to die. To reconcile us back to him. That's a good God. He loved us so much. So he sent his son. That's a good God. All we need to do is to love him back and to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. I'm going to turn over to Pastor Jonathan. God bless you. I'm going to invite Colton to come uh, to the stage right now. Uh, I'm going to give you another chance to pray. Uh, I've been praying throughout that sermon. God is faithful. God is holy. God is wise. You've heard me say over the last few months in so many ways that many of your problems stem from an unhealthy or an unrealistic view of God. You've heard me say things like if anyone's ever described Jesus to you as someone that would forsake you or leave you or would let you down, they're describing someone that's not Jesus. I don't do this much. Would you just bow your heads for just a second? I'm going to ask you a super real easy question. I just want to make sure I'm kind of in, in good company this morning. You have something in your life you just say, I'd be okay if it got better. Would you just slip your hand up? Because the rest of you, you know, we're going to look to you for help. It just, I'd be okay if something got better. Just, it, I'm not talking about some outstanding sin or anything like that. Hands all over the place. Go ahead. You can put them down right, and, and look up again. But the just the simplicity and the thoroughness of Dr. Charles' message this morning. Whatever it is that you're going through could be answered through those three points that she gave us this morning. You're either questioning God's wisdom, you're excusing your behavior believing that His holiness is not enough to bring you to holiness, or you're worried, you're anxious, you're depressed, you're concerned because you believe that God's not going to be faithful. Right? You ever think about that? If you, if you say, well, I need to believe that God is faithful. If you're not doing that, you're believing that he's not. We don't challenge you in that way too often, do we? You're believing that God is not faithful. You're believing that God is not wise. You're believing that God is not holy when we excuse those things in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to baptize somebody else this morning. Can't wait to do that. But I'm going to ask you to stand. And as Colton says, I'm serious. Don't leave here today. And get in the car and go to lunch and say, I wish my marriage was better. I wish my job was better. I wish my kids would come to Jesus. I wish whatever it is. 
We can't do that today, church. The answer is right here. God is faithful. God is holy. God is wise. And he wants you to seek him in every area of your life. He's there for every part of it. I believe that. Father, we, we pray this morning. We thank you so much for your messenger. God, for the work that you're doing in Dr. Charles' ministry and for her willingness to come and share her heart with us this morning. But God, you know my heart is for this people. And God, I don't want to see anyone lacking wisdom and not asking of God. I don't want to see anyone struggle in sin and bondage when they can find holiness, they can find a life of holiness in a holy God. God, I don't want to see anyone this morning continue to have concerns and believe that you're not faithful. God, what a, what a sin this morning that we would believe that you're not faithful. We know you are. Deborah shared with us from the scripture over and over again where you have never failed. Your promises have always been fulfilled and we know you're not, well, you're not done but you're just getting started. So Lord, help us to be obedient so that the end might be transformation. Thank you, God, this morning for being wise, for being holy and being faithful in Jesus' name. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's my.
that's your prayer this morning, that God, that you would be willing to receive the truth of God's word and what he wants to speak in your life. I'll let you be seated. Uh, we're going to baptize somebody else this morning. Um, you can know somebody might say, hey, we bat- why didn't we baptize this person last week? Or are we going to baptize more people next week? Hey, we're just, uh, last week was a result of somebody seeing the baptism, wanting to get baptized, and we're excited that we're getting to do this again. Uh, this week, man, we'll fill this tank up every week if we have to. What a great celebration that someone has passed from death into life. So uh, thankful for God's faithfulness um, and that people are getting saved. You know, I, I just, never, I don't know what to do on Sunday mornings if I'm not reviewing my sermon. And I found myself looking at some stats this morning. And did you know that in two-thirds of our churches in America last year, no one reported someone getting saved, giving their life to Jesus. I don't know why they're still open, because that's the business we're in, right? I mean, I don't, I don't mean to be a downer this morning, say something like that, but what I'm saying is there's no greater, it doesn't matter how many programs we have or what music we sing or what sermons we preach, if people aren't seeking transformation, if people aren't passing from death into life, and that's what's happening, we're seeing a representation of that here this morning. So uh, I'm going to... I think I'm going to hold a microphone for Jacob. Let him talk for a second. Is that okay? Well, I'm not going to talk much, um, but Whitney is the one being baptized today. And so can we give Whitney a round of applause? And so she has actually typed a little something up that she'd like to say as a little bit of a testimony. So we're going to let her say that now. I'm going to do this without crying, I think. Good morning, everyone. I wanted to say a few words about why I'm here. First of all, I wanted to thank my good friend, Tamara. She's the reason why I'm here. She helps me not only at work, but in my life. She introduced us to Capital City, and our lives have changed. Both my daughter, Riley, and I feel like we have found our church family, and Tamara is a huge reason for our change. So I wanted to thank you from the bottom of my heart for you. Uh, Whitney is one of many who uh, have asked to be baptized. We still have a long list, to be, be honest. Uh, it's just timing. But if you want to be baptized, the waters are always open and ready, and they can be ready at a moment's notice. And so we're going to baptize Whitney in the mighty name of Jesus, and we're going to have a good time doing it, all right?
one God. We thank you that you have decided to lift our lights to you, to, to rededicate and repurpose our lights to glorify you. And so, Lord, we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as we wrap up today, I'll, I'll take a second. I, I didn't want to just in case Jacob did because Jacob's been, uh, me and Allison have got to know Tamara, and, and Jacob has, uh, Jacob's recruited Tamara to be a youth leader. Um, and be careful, me and Jacob will do that. We'll try to recruit you to something you might not think you can do, but um, Tamara has been a great female presence in our youth group. She's just 20 years old, and to me, Whitney's testimony was just as big as her baptism today. We need to be bringing people alongside of us. We need to be bringing people alongside of us. And we wanted Tamara in the tank today because we want her to understand that she's part of this discipleship process. It's not just pastors that do the work. We want to equip you to do the work. We want you baptizing people. We want you discipling people. We want you teaching people because that's the way of the kingdom. So I'm thankful for people like Tamara that are stepping up right now. Uh, young people, you matter if you're in here and uh, you consider yourself young. You, you, you all matter, but you, you get what I'm saying. Young people matter. We have a place for you, and we want to help you um, get plugged into the ministry. So we'll, we'll say goodbye to our, our crowd online. Thanks for uh, joining us online. I appreciate those that have been involved in the revival. It always takes a little bit uh, of extra work from our ministry teams and our volunteers um, to, to put three services together in a row. I'm going to invite my ushers to come forward to help us receive uh, the morning tithes and offerings. As they come, I'll say a blessing over the offering, and then I'll just remind you quickly of a couple announcements that we have. Father, we thank you this morning that you are wise, that you are holy.